Good morning, church family. While I'm getting ready, why don't you give our praise and worship team another round of applause, man. Those guys, they have put in a lot of work uh, to make sure that we have the opportunity to really give our Lord praise. Uh, open, open with me, if you would, your Bibles into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are continuing our sermon series called Speak Life. And if we would do a survey or look at surveys that have been done in the past and ask individuals what is missing from their life, time and time again we would see that people reference peace either at or near the top of that list. Peace is something that within modern society itself just simply seems to be lacking. According to a New York Times article called What Everyone Should Know About War, Chris Hedges in the New York Times said that in the past 3,400 years, which just so happens to be recorded history, that in that length of time, only 268 of 3,400 years have been at peace all around the world. If you did that math, what you'd realize is that in the last 3,400 years, only 8% of the time has the whole entire world actually been at peace. Which means the other 92% of the time, there is some chronic conflict somewhere in the world. This week, or this past week, is a reminder of the struggle we all face to find peace. On Wednesday, we as a nation remembered the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City. 2,977 people were killed and over 6,000 were injured. Additional lives were later lost due to related cancer and respiratory diseases. A total of 343 firefighters and 72 law enforcement officers were killed in what was the deadliest terror attack in all of human history. I had the opportunity to listen to President George W. Bush speak about his experience of being notified of the, of the World Trade Center attack. Many of you will remember that he was in Sarasota, Florida, as a reading initiative publicity event, reading to a classroom full of school-age kids. The first plane hit the World Trade Center tower, and George Bush was notified, and he said that he thought to himself, what a terrible, tragic accident. A second plane hit the second tower. He was then notified while he was reading to these kids, and George Bush reports that he thought in that moment, we are under attack in the United States of America. And when he heard that the third plane hit the Pentagon, he said to himself, according to his own report, the United States of America is now officially at war. Peace. What a precious commodity. And while many mention a lack of peace, and history certainly does point to very limited seasons of peace throughout recorded time, The truth about peace is, it is very much attainable. You can absolutely, irrefutably, 
without question experience peace in your life. And the peace that you seek after, the peace that each of us so desperately wants, is much closer to each of you than any of us could imagine. I want to go to our text this morning from 1 Thessalonians 5. And I want to remind you of some words the Apostle Paul spoke to a small church in the middle of persecution, trial, and tribulation. And the life he speaks over them is found in the word peace. I've got this on screen for you this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Let's read the word of God together. The Bible says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Let's say that last part together. He will do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you this morning that the true source of peace is God and God alone. Paul identifies God as the God of peace because the apostle knows where peace, true peace, authentic peace, lasting peace is genuinely found. If you look at the context of Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, you'd read in Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to read this briefly for you. I don't have it on the screen. That right before Paul gets to Thessalonica, he was imprisoned. And his recollection of that specific event is as follows, starting in verse 37. We were beaten, we were beaten publicly without trial, and even though we were Roman citizens, they threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come and escort us out. The officers reported what Paul said to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were very alarmed. So the magistrates came to appease Paul and Silas and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So right before Paul gets to Thessalonica, he was beaten publicly. This beating happened without a legitimate trial, and now the very people who had beaten him and humiliated him and caused suffering in his life were trying to manipulate Paul and cover their tracks. You talk about a situation it would be difficult to find peace from within. This is it. But Paul is able to write to this small church, this church in Thessalonica, about the God of peace. Because even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of humiliation, even when life seemed unfair, the Apostle Paul was at peace. Because his peace was rooted in the God of true, authentic, and real peace. Let me contrast for you briefly, and I do have this up on the screen, the difference between the peace of God and the peace of the world. 
I don't have time to do this this morning, but if we would look at everything the Bible teaches us about the kind of peace that comes from God, we would see that this kind of peace is objective, is objective. What that means is it's not based on our emotions. It's not based on our biases, maybe that are the result of how we were raised or the result of where we were raised or or the result of things that we have been taught. But they're actual, factual things. It's objective, meaning it's real. The peace of God is also internal. It rests within the children of God. Men and women who have experienced conversion have access to a peace that is within them. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 I reference all the time, but it teaches us that the same Spirit that resurrected our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead can dwell within us, becoming our source of peace. And when that happens, it's possible, it's real, and it's factual that our peace can be lasting. The peace of the world is almost the exact opposite. It's very subjective. What makes you happy is going to be what you feel. It's going to be what you think. It's going to be things that appeal to your flesh. It's subjective. There's no objective truth behind it. It's not actual or factual. It's based in the ethereal feeling world. And your feelings and mine are based on the circumstances we find ourselves in. When we're at an amusement park... As long as we don't have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old tagging along behind us, we're supposed to feel peace. When we watch a sunrise and we're undisturbed or we're doing a leisurely activity that we've been waiting for, those promote peace. But those moments in life, if we're being honest, do really feel like less than 8% of our lives, don't they? The other 92% feels fraught with struggle and difficulty and trial. My vehicle breaks down. My check doesn't clear the bank account. I get a bad report from my doctor. The issue I've been fighting about in my marriage consistently sabotages over and over and over again. Life is 92% trial. And when our peace is based on the type of peace the world gives, it's based on the circumstances we are in, our external world. And if 92% of the world we live in externally is difficult, that makes the type of peace the world offers anything but lasting. Changing constantly with the winds of change in life. Church family, the peace of God which comes from the God of peace himself, happens when you and I find peace with God. The peace of God that comes from the God of peace happens and lasts and is internal and is not changing when we find peace with God himself. And the peace with God that God offers all of us through Jesus Christ, His Son, is available to everyone all over the world and under the sound of my voice right now, today. 
This is why we send men and women over to Athens to encourage local missionaries internationally. This is why we do uh, ministries like Heart to Home, uh, Heartfelt, excuse me, Rooted, Celebrate Recovery, Embrace Grace, and so many others. This is why we're actively involved in ministry locally right here in our community because all people deserve and have access to peace with God through Jesus Christ the Son. The Bible talks in Isaiah 53 about Jesus and the gospel itself being the source of our peace. I want to read this to you. I've got it on screen. Jesus himself would be pierced for our transgressions. This man referenced in Isaiah 53 would be crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us, here's our word for today, peace. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we can be healed. To give you a little background here on Isaiah so that this hits you in the right place, Isaiah literally means Yahweh saves. God offers you reconciliation. He's a saving God. Isaiah was a prophet And in the time he prophesied, he lived through many years of war and bloodshed. At the time Isaiah was prophesying, the chosen people of God, the nation of Israel, was actually divided into two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And while Isaiah was prophesying, the northern kingdom was invaded and overthrown and God's people were taken into captivity. And still, God spoke to Isaiah and said to his people, There is coming one who will be punished for your peace. There is coming one who will be bruised for your iniquity. There is coming one who will be crushed and punished. And by his wounds, all the pain you've been through, all the bloodshed you've seen, all the warfare you've experienced will be healed. God makes a way for that. Truly, he is a God of peace who grants you his peace when you make peace with him through his son. This is what completely transformed the life of our author today. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. He said, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, him being Jesus Christ, And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by, listen to this, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. True peace in life comes from being at peace with God. And that's a peace freely offered to all. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, shed on the cross. True peace, ladies and gentlemen, is found right here. Right here in the gospel. Not in a relationship. Not in a career. Not in living in a particular geographical location. Not in any other circumstance imaginable in life. And if you have not made peace with God, you will never truly have the peace of God in your life. 
And when we have peace with God and the peace of God comes into our lives, we begin this process of being made and cultivated into the image, into the likeness with the, with the same thoughts and attitudes and behaviors of Jesus Christ the Son. And biblically, we call that process sanctification. Now, that's a seven-letter Scrabble word or more that will win you a family game night in a Scrabble competition. Sanctification simply means the process of being made holy. I think of it in terms of the process of being made into a much more handsome, spiritually handsome guy than myself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The peace that we have with God leads to sanctification, which promotes a greater peace within. I want you to flip back one chapter from 1 Thessalonians 5 to 1 Thessalonians 4. Throughout this book, the apostle's addressing these themes, and he talks about sanctification, and he talks about sanctification as involving living a spiritually and morally pure life. Resisting your flesh's compulsion to sin, your flesh's desire to sin, and resisting the enemy's enticement of your flesh. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. That's holy living. And that's the instruction the apostle provided. And he he affirms as, in fact, this is how you're living now. You're doing it. You're living a life pleasing to God, a life of faith, having made peace with God. So sanctification can promote peace in your life. He asks this church and urges them, do this more and more. I want to say that one more time, and I want you to underline that in whatever Bible you happen to be reading, whether on your phone, tablet, or, or, a, or a book, physical book of the Bible. In verse 1, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to live pleasing to God. We ask you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus? It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you, and what does that mean? That you should avoid sexual immorality and that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. When we have peace with God and have been converted, the Holy Spirit lives within us, making us holy in God's sight and begins to mold us into an image of Christ the Son with His thoughts, attitudes, and actions. And the more we live like Christ, the more the peace of God will reign in our lives. The Bible teaches us that sin... And peace are mutually exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. What that means is you cannot have sin and have peace. The Bible teaches us here that sanctification and peace always correspond. Always. The holier you live, the more you live in a way that pleases God, the more sanctified the Spirit makes you, the more peace you have in your life. What an easy thing to understand 
what a simple concept and how scary I feel and how fearful I feel feel when I consider how many of us are simply unwilling to take that journey seriously. Oswald Chambers in My Utmost for His Highest, which is a devotional many of us have read at various times of our spiritual life. He says, sanctification is the process of being made into one with Jesus, such that the nature that controlled him will control us. This will cost us everything in our lives that is not of God. And ultimately, those things in our lives that are not of God are the things that turn into vices and strongholds and become toxic and poison us, stealing the possibility of us having the peace of God in our lives. God's intent, according to our text this morning, is to sanctify you through and through. What beautiful language. The Apostle talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 4.1 as living a holy, pleasing life more and more, through and through. The Bible wants you, ladies and gentlemen, and it's the Spirit's intent in your life to, to go all the way in your development. To go all the way. The Spirit will not stop halfway to the finish line. God wants to sanctify you through and through. The language used in 1 Thessalonians says your whole spirit, your soul, and your body will become sanctified if you'll allow God to sanctify your entire life. That, that doesn't, that's not intended to be divided up. My struggle is to think, all right, spirit, what does that mean? Soul, what does that mean? Body, what does that mean? What it means is everything. Leave no area of your life removed from complete surrender to God the Father through Christ the Son. Through and through means don't stop. Take it to the finish line. Go all the way. Give it everything you got until you've got nothing left. So many of us are on this spiritual merry-go-round. We're fired up. We've been transformed by the gospel. We have a taste of peace and we stop right there. And rather than letting the Spirit of God sanctify us through and through, we get sanctified just enough. Rather than being willing to pay everything in my life that's not of God to the process of sanctification, I keep some things back for myself. God intends for every part of your life to be sanctified inside and out. And if you'll let God do that through and through, if you'll live pleasing unto God more and more, what happens is the peace that we have within as a result of being at peace with God begins to begins to infect the world around us, our relationships themselves. Peace with God ultimately leads us to being unified with others, which promotes peace in our relationships. Now, some of us want to start right here. Some of us are looking for peace with others, maybe with our parents, if we're young people. 
Maybe we're looking for peace with our spouse. Maybe we're looking for peace with coworkers, or, or we're looking for peace with other significant people in our life. And we try strategies and tactics and techniques and read self-help books that give us lots of suggestions without ever really giving us an answer. And the reason there is no answer to finding peace in relationships for most people is we're not willing to seek peace with God first and sacrifice everything in our lives second that withholds us from living holy so that we can be conformed into the image of Jesus and let that holiness and peace within infect the relationships that we're a part of. Your relationships and the peace therein absolutely depends on being at peace with God and allowing your heart to be sanctified by the Spirit of God. If we go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in, listen to this, here's our watchword, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone and make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is the key to peace in relationships. And it is possible, not because of what other people do to us, but because of what we do for them as a result of what God has done in us. In this section of Scripture, there are some valuable principles of peace mentioned. The first is respect, intimacy with, and respect for my mentors, and you need some. The second is having healthy boundaries. Man, the center of the Scriptures and the Gospel and the life of Jesus is love. But love also involves a measure of truth. Love without truth, relationships without boundaries, in other words, is chaos. But truth without love is condemnation. Truth and love combined into one is the pathway to real relationships whose center is peaceful. Respect. Have boundaries. Be willing to admonish people who need admonishment. Respect and boundaries. Encouragement. 98, 92% of life is going to be a struggle. That means everyone you know probably needs a word of encouragement. Encourage those who are a little bit down and allow them to be lifted up as you speak life to them. That's why we're focusing on this series. And that's the core of speaking life, being an encouragement. The truth is, if 92% of your life is a struggle, there's plenty you could talk about to discourage others. But the life truly transformed by the gospel focuses on the 8%. Can I get an amen? Paul mentions helping, which is giving of time, effort, and energy. And as we help others, what we find is we ourselves are uplifted and edified. Paul mentions two additional things. The first is patience, and that includes everyone, which means you. 
And some of you are not at peace because you're not at peace with the person you see in the mirror. And I'm not advocating accepting where you're at in life. I just made the case that you need to live pleasing more and more. Keep going, keep working, keep surrendering. And God will sanctify you through and through. But if you've made peace with God, then you can be at peace with you too. And be patient for the process of sanctification. Finally, Paul mentions altruism. Do the right thing. Simply because it's what Jesus would do and it's the right thing to do. Especially when vengeance or pain is involved. That's the lifestyle of Christ and it's what our sanctification process is molding us into. As I was praying about this lesson, I thought to myself, and I'm going to close in just one moment. Man, the way this comes across, it's a lot of you doing it. You get better. You be sanctified. You put these things into practice. And that's certainly true. You have a responsibility to live out the Word of God. But as I've alluded to a few times in this lesson, you don't have to do that of your own strength by your own self. That's the beauty of the way Paul ends what many scholars feel like is a concluding prayer here in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24. Let me give you that verse that's on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says, The one who called you is faithful. The one who called you is faithful. He called you by his son. He called you through his love. He calls out to you through the gospel. And he who called you is faithful. Where love with others may fail, where friendships may cease, where struggles might come, God and his word and his love and all of his promises can be counted on. He is faithful. And guess what? He'll take care of everything I just talked about if you'll live in surrender to Him. The Spirit will literally equip you. You see, church, God has already done what He needs to do by sending Jesus Christ the Son. God has done it. Praise the Lord. God has done it. The victory is won. You are victorious. God's already done it. And He is doing it. If you've been converted, God is working to sanctify you. Let it happen. Don't resist. Give in to the Spirit's conviction. And when God communicates through some fashion things that you need to surrender in life that are not of Him, let Him go. When God confirms through some fashion that you're on the right track, then keep going. He is faithful and He will sanctify you. You give up, God will do the rest. He has done it in Christ. He is doing it in you and He will do it in all of us until He comes back to call His church home. He will do it. And when He comes, ladies and gentlemen, you will be blameless. Think about that for a second. You know you. And probably the person you're sitting next to knows you too. Can I get an amen? And despite your failures, your shortcomings, and your mistakes, when Jesus Christ returns to call his church home, he's not going to see your failures or your shortcomings or your mistakes. 
he's going to see the blood of the Lamb. And because of that blood, in God's eyes, you'll be blameless. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's this last idea, Christ coming to call his people home, that we're going to end up talking about more and more as this series progresses, because that's ultimately the theme of First and Second Thessalonians. I wanted to introduce it a little bit here to conclude this lesson, because focusing our eyes on that truth, no matter how difficult our life gets here, promotes a sense of peace in us. And while certainly peace feels for many of us like only 8% of our lives on this side of heaven, when we get to the other side, come on somebody, it'll be 100% of every moment we experience. But for those of us here who have been transformed by the gospel, even in the midst of war, conflict, bloodshed, struggle, or trial, We can be at peace. It can be well with us in any situation. And when we do get to heaven and peace reigns, we'll finally come face to face with the reality for which we've been designed. So through it all, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Through it all, let's keep heaven in view. Through all moments and seasons, let's focus on the cross of our Lord. And let's let it be well with our souls. If it is not well with you this morning, I hope that God has spoken life into you and your challenge to come forward and lay whatever burden you're carrying at the feet of Jesus and let it be well. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you thankful for your word that shows us the source of peace how to develop inner peace through sanctification, which ultimately infects our entire life and gives us the chance of experiencing peace with others. And it's all because of your son, Jesus. And when that's happening in our lives, even though 92% may feel like chaos and struggle, we can all say it is well. And there are some under the sound of my voice who cannot say that, either because they have not followed the plan of salvation or because they haven't surrendered everything over to you. I pray that those individuals would be strengthened by your spirit to respond. And I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand while we sing.